Hello, everybody. Welcome into Down South. We are back. Ryan Gardner with me. Uh, I'm Andrew Mossbrooks. As always, Brian, final week of the SPHL regular season. We took a week off last week, I know, and we said we weren't going to do it. Something happened. Scheduling conflicts. Here we are. Hey, we're, we're, we're entitled to a break. We work hard for the yeah. podcast. Yeah, we <laughs> we, I'm sorry to anybody who was just jonesing for their down south fix and Friday came out wrong and we're saying, hey, never mind, we're taking a week off and they're cursing the heavens. So because of that, we're giving you an extra, extra supersized special episode with all the special sauce on top. This is going to be a good one. I don't like sauce, but whatever. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, yeah, and, and here's the thing. At least we're going to make up for it. We've got an awesome interview coming up later. Brian and I, uh, we'll, we'll reveal it on social media here uh, next week. We've got an even bigger guest, the biggest guest we've had yet. Uh, so we, as we're getting in here, yes, we took that week off, unfortunately. Hope you guys missed us. We missed you. We've got a lot of really fun stuff here as we're going to uh, be on the back end of the podcast. We're in playoff talk now, Brian. We know the four teams. We don't know where they all seat just yet. Uh, but it's going to be some form of making Knoxville, Pensacola, Huntsville. And with five games left at the time of this recording, we're going to be airing it Friday. Friday night starts the final weekend, five games left in the season. And still a little bit could go on because the last game of the regular season is going to be Huntsville and Pensacola. And right now, Huntsville's got three games left. Pensacola has two and three points separate them. So right now Huntsville's fourth, but they could finish third. Pensacola could finish fourth, vice versa. Still a lot of storylines uh, going into this final week. Yeah, poor them out for the Birmingham Bulls. They are the team that, are, that will be on the outside looking in. As you mentioned, the one through four, every team has clinched their playoff spot. And yeah, Huntsville is going to play a three and three to finish out their weekend. Right now, a game in hand on Pensacola. They're three points behind him, as you mentioned, going into that last game of the weekend, or last game of the regular season. Uh, something for positioning where it's okay, you know, what somebody's going to play Knoxville. Somebody's going to play, play Macon. Macon clinched the William B. Coffee Trophy number one seed in the playoffs, regular season champions. Of course, Knoxville had wrapped up their playoffs position a while ago, but yeah, like we're talking about, I mean, it is, it's, it's always fun when you go into the last week of the regular season, not knowing everything and there's still something to play for. And you still kind of wonder, all right, well, who are we going to get? You know, we know we're in, who are we play in. That's always fun. Yeah, and it's important for all kinds of aspects. Like if you're Huntsville or Pensacola, my guess is I'd rather be like, well, then again, it all depends on what the matchups are. And you and I haven't studied those, but I, for traveling purposes, which matters like hell in the SPHL for a playoff series, I probably would rather go to Macon. Uh, Knoxville is going to be a further drive. Uh, and, you know, it, things like that do matter. I know with Peoria and Roanoke, and you lived through it, um, that series is not fun to do, what, a 13, 14 hour drive a day after a home game. It, was, it had to be something like that for you guys, right? It's about, yeah, it's a little over 12, uh, if I remember right. And, um, and yeah, when we, the two, the two years in a row when we played Peoria in the postseason, um, you're leaving right after the game, game one in Roanoke and um, you play that. And then you know what, you're bouncing right onto the bus and you're going because you got to get out there because it's so damn long to, you know, it's, it's a, you, something you got to do as an overnight trip to get out there. So you're not having to roll in. Um, and there's just not that much time in between. So yeah, it's both teams play the game, get on the bus, go to the next one. But like you're talking about travel wise, if I mean, for instance, like Pensacola and Macon, or excuse me, I know Pensacola and Huntsville would probably, 
probably the closest of the of the the uh, geographical teams that will be in the postseason, and that's something to where yeah, more of a commuter setup, and as opposed to like if Pensacola's got to go up to Knoxville, that is a longer trip. That's something to where maybe you played game one in one location, you got to bounce right out there, and it's all right. You you can't even think about what happened because you're already in logistics mode, getting there, worrying about game two, worrying about getting to the hotel and resting and all that stuff. So yeah, it is. It's. It's not glamorous, the behind-the-scenes of the postseason in the, um, in the President's Cup playoffs in the SPHL. Yeah, they say it's a grind, and we'll talk more about that later. Before, uh, before that, and before we get to our guest, Brian, uh, we got to give a, just a comment here because, you know, talking about this two-week absence, uh, I know in my case uh, during this two weeks I actually got back into the booth. I know you got that chance a couple months earlier, had a chance to call a doubleheader for Cabrini College against Newman University. First time doing baseball in like over a thousand days. Hey, um, yeah, that was really fun, man. I, I had a blast doing it. I might be calling something again here this weekend. I'm not so sure, uh, but yeah, that was really fun for me. I know for you, something significant also happened. Yeah, I got my first vaccine dose. Feeling good over here. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago until my second dose. And um, so yeah, that's it's it's funny how it's just like a for me it was just an immediate mood booster. You know, like they uh, a little nervous because I I I don't like getting shots in general. So you know, always looking away from it, looking away from it. But, you know, once it's done, you get done with that 15-minute observation period to make sure you're all good. And, you know, I'm driving home, windows down, singing, which I never do. I'm not a – I'm more of a talk radio or, or, or a game on in the car, a podcast on in the car. No, nah, and I'm belting it out, feeling great. So, yeah, I'm – so it, that, that was a mood booster for me. And then – and so, yeah, I'm, I'm just – I'm counting down the days till my next shot. I also – I just I'm gonna rain on your parade because not only did I get a shot, I also got to call a I called a, a soccer game for um, nice. for for Stevenson uh, University a, about a week ago now. So yeah, just just everyone's get get behind the mic and just scratch that itch. Feels good, doesn't it? Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. It's great to be back, and uh, obviously, you and I both hope a lot more. Hopefully, uh, ice. And I know you've you've had to call a couple of Stevenson hockey games, but great about the vaccine too. Um, obviously, you know it's it's a polarizing thing as everything is. Um, but you know, good on you. It's your choice to get it. You choose to get it. One more shot, and uh, you know, hopefully, things are good. Uh, I guess the most intriguing part of that whole thing was the windows down and you singing. What are we singing? Are, are you a rap guy or are you getting into your, into your feelings and, you know, blasting some country, some soul? What's going on? Man, man I'm, an, I'm mostly an alt rock kind of guy, you know, getting, you know, um, that, that, that's, that's what gets me going for the most part, I guess. Um, I, 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 I don't, I don't get, I don't get, I'm not, I'm not spitting bars in there. I'm not, I'm not bumping up some, you know, some, I don't even know who the uh, most popular rapper would be right now. I'm, I'm, man, I feel old right now. I can't even think of a popular rapper, but. <laughs> a few. I'm more on the underground level, man. I'm a huge Young Gravy fan. So you pour, do you pour them over some mashed potatoes while you're Dude, listening? Or? Yeah, juice sauce, a little bit of dressing. This guy's, uh, you know, yeah. six, six man out of uh, Rochester, Minnesota. You know, I, uh. He's a great rapper. I think he's hilarious too. Great. He's kind of like Lil Dicky, but funnier. So, yeah, that's that's my take. Anyway, yeah. So I'm I'm gonna be you know throwing some raps in there uh, in the car, and you know have the people next to me looking at me at the red light, and then I have to stop. You know, but hey, we're we're having fun. You know, agree to disagree, and I do like some alt rock too. You know, a little bit of everything, but country, I'm still struggling with that. So. I did, I did like, speaking of a little dicky, I did really like Dave from the FX series that's on Hulu also. Did you watch that? I, I highly recommend it. 
I have not, but there we go. Dave. Yeah. It's, it's that, you know, I know you just, you just kind of gave a little diss to a little Dickie, but watch Dave. It's 10 episodes. They're about a half hour each. It's on Hulu. If you got access to that. You. All right. Well, there, there's what you, there's what you're gonna do with your free time moving forward. So we we're talking everything. We're 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 going all over the place, but I guess we should get to our our guest who we're we're coming in hot on this interview with Mason Baptista, our guest from the Macon Mayhem, who he's gonna share a story from their game, well, from before their game in Huntsville against the Huntsville Havoc that happened on Tuesday night of this week, and it's not something I've ever heard happening leading into a minor league hockey game. No, uh, I haven't either, but you know, that's just one of many stories. This is an awesome interview. Can't wait for you guys to, uh, to get to listen to this. He's a winger for Macon, seven years in the ECHL, and now getting a chance to try and pursue a President's Cup and bring it back to middle Georgia for the first time in a few years with the coach who did it last, Kevin Kerr. It's Macon Baptista, our next guest here on Down South. We welcome our guest Mason Baptista this week here on Down South. And um, well, Mason, you know we're recording this on a Wednesday evening, and you guys played on Tuesday. And uh, well, it was an eventful pregame. It sounded like you were just talking to us about some of the specifics of why your game was delayed for 30 minutes. Can you run it through now that we're live and recording? Uh, yeah, it was. Well, like like I was saying, we were outside warming up with our team and a bunch of guys, and we heard something go down, like something just fell. And it just felt like it was just like just something tumbled down. But then you just felt this like domino effect of just tiles of ceiling coming down. And it was, it was really freaky initially because everyone just kind of backed off and you thought the whole building was going to come down. You got half the team inside there. Like, and as soon as it stopped, like me and the other teammate yelled to the other guys on the other side, go get everyone out of the room. So we get everyone out of the room me, me and Nick Minerva, we run over to check to make sure no one's in there. Thankfully, there was one lady walking towards it, but then she was able to just sprint out as soon as it started falling and no one else was under there. But that front entrance typically has people. We had a player five minutes earlier warming up right under there. So it was definitely like a – it was just a surreal situation to start like you're – like we were right about to start warming up and – you're like, oh, my God. So then the game was delayed 30 minutes. Thankfully, no one was hurt. But it was definitely an interesting way to start a game. Yeah, I'll say. And that's uh, over in Huntsville, which normally would be a quick trek back. Uh, but another thing you told us is there was a wrong turn. You know, usually as we get into the later stages of these interviews, we'll ask you maybe about these kind of horror stories. But since we're already on one, I mean, did you ever see anything like what you saw yesterday? Are, are there any other uh, – and, and outside of the – the wrong turn yesterday on the bus. Are there any other just bad stories? Oh, <laughs> the list goes on, but like last night we took a wrong turn and like the ongoing joke was like, maybe we should stop over and pick up a map. Like we're like, what's going on right now? We're, like, we're losing reception. We're driving and all we see is woods. And I'm like, we have guys that have been playing in the league for six years and they've taken this trip hundreds of like, dozens of times and they're like I've never taken this way home like we we're digging u-turns with a bus I'm like are we ever gonna make it back and so that was definitely weird I've seen well I've been a part of like two different bus fires or like scares so to speak in Ger I was in Germany we had like our bus legit on the side was up in flames and uh, that was definitely – our guys are like, man, the seat's really, really hot. I don't know what's going on. And off the side, you just got black smoke coming out of the backside, and it was just like, 
oh no, man, like just an absolute zoo. So there's uh, definitely some, that was definitely one of the crazier ones. Cause again, in a different country, don't speak the language in the, on the Autobahn, you're like, this is not a good recipe. This is a recipe for disaster. Did you guys lose like the gear that was underneath? Cause usually on these buses, you're storing your hockey bags underneath and you're saying you're feeling the flames. So it was in the middle, the engine, the way this bus was structured out, it was, it was like a two story bus. So everything was, so every, so you have the middle section where you have like the coaches and the staff, the upper section, which is all the players. And then the back section where the engine is. And then we carry all the gear additionally on a, on an additional track, like a thing that hooks on the back of the bus. So it's not under the bus. So the thing was, it was just the engine overheating and then there was oil spilling and it started ignited a fire. And we were like, Oh my God. And this black hole we're pulled off in the back and everyone's running out. We're like, and you know what? We waited, I think it was like 30 minutes and we just kept driving afterwards and we were fine. Well, I guess that's a good reason that you ended up only spending one year in Germany, right? Well, it was like three months. It was terrible. It was an awful <laughs> experience. I did not like it at all. Like the people were, the people were awesome. The city was cool. Um, I just felt like the situation, I think Europe is like really 50, 50 when you talk to players but I personally didn't enjoy the experience. It wasn't like the best situation. Uh, and so I just left. And again, the second I left, I was doing great. So I really enjoyed, I, again, like it was, it was good for a period of time, but not for me. Yeah, it's worth doing, right? Like that's, that's kind of, we've talked about this with a few guys this year where you, you know, you get the opportunity to go somewhere you never would have gone before. You're basically getting paid to travel. Like I absolutely understand why you would take the flyer on it. But like you said, it seems like 50-50 where some guys don't have a good experience and they're itching to get back to North America. Yeah, it's the expectations. I think we have, we have this uh, false or at least high expectation from all the great stories we hear about. And I did my homework. I called five different players, talked to them. They all loved it. But then when like actually diving in a little deeper, their situations were a little unique. And uh, when looking through the team actually was in a really bad spot by the middle of that year, that team ended up getting rid of the coaching staff, the GM restructuring everything. And now they're in a great place. But these are things that aren't really talked about. And players just assume that Europe is a better option than here. And uh, that's a terrible assumption to have. And they go over and they think, oh, it's Europe. You can just move around really easily. It's like, it's just great. It's cheap. It's all this. And these high expectations are, it's actually expensive to travel. It's not that easy to travel. It's not very, it's not um, economical to just take trains all the time, especially if you're used to the, essentially it would be called luxury of just moving around the way we do here versus the way they do it there. You could go cheap, but you're in some really sketchy situations um, I remember we were, st I remember we didn't, we didn't know and got stuck in a weird spot in Italy. And we were like, man, I do not feel comfortable right now. And like, we couldn't go anywhere else. We physically could not go anywhere else. We had to wait for this bus in a really sketchy train station. And it's just like, you don't know this stuff, right? Yeah, I, I think it's really cool, Mason Gain, to hear your side of things, because I don't think it's a secret. Um, you know, we don't have to name names, just a lot of guys in the SP and the ECHL are told that tantalizing story of, you know, well, if I can do enough, good enough here and I can put up some numbers in the coast, at least this is the story I've heard, tell me if I'm wrong, but guys are sitting there saying, if I can go to the SP and I can work my way up to the coast, I can stick for a little, put some points up, I can go overseas, I can make more money, it's easier to do it over there. And obviously hearing it from you, it's a case-by-case -case scenario and not always that case. 
Yeah, there's no real like, uh, it's it, it's not like here. Everything's a lot more structured. You got unions to protect you and there they have things in place to help, but it's almost team by team by team. Depends on the city. Where are they putting you up? Like at least here, there's a, there's a bit of variance on where you're staying. Whereas like the variance of where you're staying in Europe, you better make sure you know what you're getting yourself into. Because when they say a single bed apartment, it could be literally like, a, it'll feel like a jail cell some of these places. They're not telling you that because what they're used to is different than what you're used to. It's basically luxury here. So, now, on, on a similar wavelength, this obviously is your first season playing in the SPHL. The, the vast majority of your career outside of what we're talking about in Germany has been in the ECHL. And, you know, you played for Kevin Kerr in Greenville. Is that how you ended up in Macon? Did he kind of sell you on, hey, you like playing for me last year? Come on and play for me here in the SPHL this year? Well, yeah, I have, I have a, again, there's a lot of like working with a lot of the players there. Like I knew Soper, I knew Rogues, I knew some other guys. And like when getting to just hear them and making sure like it was like the right fit and uh, Kevin, I'm comfortable with, we were player coaching there and he trusts like the insights and like working together and trying to get the best out of our players and so he knew like I, I knew it would be a familiar fit and especially like I'm I just got married last year I didn't want to go into a, I didn't want to have any unknowns I wanted to have something familiar and so Kevin really like when he reached out it was just it worked out to be a great situation and a great fit especially with the year and the way things have been going. You mentioned uh, that it was Kevin Kerr who reached out to you. Mason, you early on strike me as a very honest guy and pretty open uh, the way this conversation has gone in less than 10 minutes. So I'll ask you, you know, given that experience in Germany and reaching out to guys and you were told one thing and for you personally, it ended up being another, what were the initial thoughts when either Kerr called or even before then uh, had you considered the SPHL? I mean, you're a seven-year player in the coast. Um, well, it was more so like, do I like how long do I want to keep playing for? And uh, I, again, where I was signed was with uh, Wooster initially, and I was going to player coach there. My biggest thing is I have transitioned from again when you start playing pro, it's I want to move up and try to play in the NHL. And for me, that window is closed, and it's more transitioning towards okay, I want to get into coaching. I have my own business, Babs Hockey, which is built around coaching teaching players and really helping them see the game at a whole nother level. And so I really pick jobs based on, am I going to learn as much as possible? Where am I going to learn the most? How am I going to be able to apply the things I've been learning? And am I going to be in an environment that's going to allow me to teach that? And so it really came down to that. And it was about, that's where the familiar, familiar, I can even say a familiar situation. I'm out. So I'm just rambling here, but when it's a familiar situation, it's easier to know, like, okay, I can go do that. And the players have been great. And I knew, like, as soon as they stepped in, guys were really open-minded and wanting to learn and hungry to get better. You talk about player coaching over the last, you know, few years of your career last year in Greenville, what you were going to do in Worcester, what you're doing in Macon. How does that look exactly? Like, is it a formal thing where you are coach Baps or you are also, or just guys are looking at you like a veteran and they're just willing to take advice from you? Well, like, see, the situation here is uh, Pirog is the player coach here. And, again, I came in as just, like, going to be a second guy. Like, okay, he's going to help out as well. And he, he was more going to, like, 
like just work together in that aspect. He's our captain. But again, he had some situations. He had to go take care of that stuff at home. And so, I again, even when he was here, I was just like, whenever guys want to learn or want to work on stuff at the end of practice, we're doing stuff. And now guys know about my business, know what I do. So a lot of guys will call me coach Baps. It's not really a formal setting. Like last year, it's not a formal setting, but some players, again, like when the guys get going, they'll be like, Oh, coach Baps, here we go. Like, but again, it's more of like, I'm really the, what I do is mediate and connect the coaching message to the players. And I'm just trying to be that mediator or, the players are having issues with this and I, with the leadership group, like we have, it would be like with Rogue, Soper, Sue, me, Minerva, we come in there and we'll talk to them. But that's really what the co- uh, the player coaching role is. And and so, and he brings me in on some of like tactics and some other logistical things so that I can learn and see that in action so that I can either like just see what's happening outside of just the tactics that you typically see from coaching or what people think the coaching is about. Well, whatever this formula is, it's clearly working. Uh, Macon just won the William B. Coffee Trophy for most points in the season. You guys have already secured the top spot for the President's Cup playoffs uh, going into the final weekend of the season here. Mason, what is it like now having experienced a full year in the SPHL? I know I asked you earlier about perception and things like that, but uh, now that you've got it under your belt, you've been here for 30-plus games, you lead the team in points, second in the league in production uh, on that front. What is it like playing in the Southern Professional Hockey League? Well, you see, like, you, you, well, from like, from looking inside the team aspect, you see a lot of really hungry young players um, just looking to get better. And then within the games, you just, you see players are all working super, super hard. Like, they're working almost twice as hard, almost too hard at times. And you see that in the coast, you see that. It, you see a little bit less of that on the coast, but here everyone's working super, super hard. You're going, players are going, like it's almost feels like college at times where guys are going almost too fast at times and they're really pressuring. All, again, you see a lot of undercover talent that, again, like you might get a perception of, oh, like the SP is not that good. Or in then AHL players will think the same thing about the coast and then NHL players will think the same thing about the A. It's just a perception thing. But when you come down, you see a lot of skilled players. Like you see a lot of talent and a lot of room for growth. And it's more, they just need the environment to really flourish and know exactly what to do once they get that opportunity because really that's what it is like a lot of these players just haven't had an opportunity like our team's filled with um, a lot of young players first year guys that would traditionally be coast players or fringe coast players and they've never had that opportunity so right now it's about really getting them ready so that when they do get those chances they can make the most of it it's remarkable to me listening to you because you sound like a a coach that, you know, any coach that I've done interviews with over my career right now, even talking about moving these young guys up, especially in this strange, in this strange year where half of the teams opted out basically in every, in every league. So yeah. uh, I know you've mentioned your business back home. You've mentioned that you're the transitioning, getting deeper into coaching. Do you have a time frame for when you want to be just, just coaching and kind of leave the player part behind? It's really going to be more of a timing thing. It's really going to be, am I going to get the opportunity? Because coaching jobs don't just like pop up out of nowhere. Like they're not just like this uh, crazy open business or like it, I'm sure you could get like some junior jobs, but I'd like to either be coaching in college or pro. And right now my main, my main 
objective is to just take as much experience as possible. I'd like to play for a couple more years. So like, I want to keep playing, but the way I, the way I try to carry myself and the, like, like you said, and it's great to hear that feedback is like your coach, how are you going to talk to the players? How are you going to, how are you going to educate? How are you going to help grow players? How are you going to do these things? If you practice those things right now, when I have to step into that coaching role, it becomes a smooth transition, just like the players that we're working with right now. Once they get their opportunity, they don't have to just flick a switch. It's they're already East coast players. They're just waiting for their opportunity so that when they step in, they're ready to go. So that's, I can't give you a definitive answer, but I like to play for at least two to three more years, ideally, and see and see what happens from there. You seem as somebody who's very analytical about the game. And obviously, if you're looking to get into coaching, you have to have that. I'm not necessarily, I don't know if I want to ask you to isolate any players on your team and say, hey, these are these are the guys I'm talking about that really have that that underlying potential. But how about instead, Mason, let, let's talk about one of the things you mentioned is some guys are almost going too fast. Some guys are almost giving like, like almost more energy than they really do. Like sort of, you almost sound like someone who's preaching like, Hey, less is more in certain situations. Can you break any aspect of that sentiment down into what do you mean by less is more? What is less, what less is more applies in the SPHL for some of these players to pick up on those things and start being able to move up and ascend into the affiliated ranks of hockey. So, yeah, no, absolutely. And so my business model, so everyone knows my background, it is hockey IQ. Like it's really getting IQ that sticks. I'm really trying to get the, like these concepts in an easy digestible format. And so that they can really process information faster. And when I say players work too hard, it is, what I did when I first played pro. Yes, I was able to play in the coast, but the problem was my first couple of years, I was just, and, and you need to grind for a bit, of course. Every player needs to grind and do the little things, but you have to figure out once you've established a position, you need to start growing your game or else you're going to get stuck in that position. You're never really going to be able to flourish as a player. You'll just always be that hardworking player. And what you see is just because you have a lot of first-year guys, this is typically from first-year guys from our team and other teams, is they're just moving a million miles a minute because they want to keep their job, which is what you need to do early on. But once you've established, like, okay, I've got some confidence. My coach trusts me. I need to start growing my game. And so really like the next step moving forward is trying to teach players, okay, am I reading the play now? Am I just moving or what am I looking for? And so what I do is a simple example would be we're in the ozone. Your teammate has the puck. A lot of players will just like run around or just stand still versus I give them two reads. You want to A, work to open space if your teammate has clean puck possession, or B, he's in a battle, I need you to go support the puck. Those are your two basic reads. And so you teach them that specifically in the ozone and just learn to make those two reads. And the faster you can do that, you're actually going to do less because you're focusing in on these two specific things, but you'll be able to do much more because you'll be able to create more opportunities versus just hoping that the puck lands on your stick or hoping that you get to that puck first. Is So you, you mentioned the IQ being part of your business. Uh, when, 
with the stuff in the offseason, with the business that they're growing, the coaching, growing it. Are you doing similar stuff? Is this like video breakdown that you're showing guys to help them learn these kind of things? So initially it's teaching principles. So I, I, I built a basic course framework to really get players to just understand the framework that the game underlies. So reading puck possession, print uh, possession before position, attack the midline, basic concepts that players really are just, they get pushed to the side after 14 years old. No one even thinks about it, but these are fundamental. And once they have that framework, then it's about building an environment for them to now explore their own skill sets. And so I talk about IQ is because skill sets, those core skills, we teach all the basics and fundamentals, but we want them to create their own authentic skills. Like Matthews has a great toe drag shot onto his right leg. That's what he does. He shifts his weight really well. And that's a authentic skill set that he does really, really well. And you have Patrick Kane, who's very good at opening up the play, like attacking the midline. And then from there, he opens up several options. And so what we try to do is give players, get players to understand these basic fundamentals by either teaching them, going through video, or on ice, really walking through some of these concepts and getting them to feel it. Because once they feel it, now they can always go back to that feeling. They can always revert back to that when they see the play happen. And then from there, it's about just giving them an environment to really, okay, how does this work? And now further explore their own skill set. So that's really how it starts. But video analysis is definitely one piece of the puzzle. I think this next part might be a little long-winded because as I'm hearing you talk, I'm trying to think of how I want to formulate this question. So I'm just going to start blabbing and, and hear what your thoughts are. Authentic skill sets, you know, I think a lot of times, as you mentioned, you start out grinding, especially when you're new, like whether it's the SPHL, the ECHL, when you're the new guy, you want to make that impact, right? Because you want to keep your spot, earn your spot. I don't know as much of it in the ECHL, but I certainly felt in the SPHL, one of the ways that people were doing that even now in an era where it's dying down is fighting and going for the big hit and trying to get that response. What are your thoughts on people including that into their authentic skill set? Because it feels like it's kind of going with the dinosaurs going away from the game. Obviously there are players and I, honestly, as a broadcaster, I would say, I, I think there is a danger if you get rid of it altogether um, because guys are going to get away with a little bit more because they're not held as accountable. Um, but I'm just wondering what, what are your thoughts on that and fighting and kind of where the game is. And from a coaching perspective, like how do you even coach that into somebody or out of somebody to not have that be, you know, you talk about your two roots from the midline and whether you're going to support a player in the corner to help him with that battle. Is there an alternate route C where two guys are battling and you have a guy go in and deck him and get ready for a suitor to come after him? Fighting needs to be in the game. It's a way to keep players accountable. Now, I wouldn't describe it as an authentic skill, as even though there are tough guys like our guy, Sumi, he's a tough guy. He can fight, but he does that. I wouldn't describe that as his, he is a tough guy, but he, I wouldn't describe that as authentic skill set. Like he has other things that he does really, really well. I think fighting or even going in for the big hit, that's just 
that's just compete. That's aggression. Like I describe it as those two ways. Like I tell players, like you want to make an impact. I need you to be aggressive and I need you to compete like hell. These are two critical things that are in your control. And that's how you get noticed. If you're a player that hasn't had any exposure, a player that hasn't been seen by coaches and don't know who you are or don't have any stats. Like this is a great way to start getting people to see who you are and reality every player no matter what and it's really the kryptonite to skill is aggressive pressure and so a really any skilled player will tell you that if they're under duress consistently all night like it it's frustrating it's difficult you really challenge the player now it's difficult to do that every single night which is why i'm saying there has to be a you have to like find that sweet spot once you get there now it's like okay when do i need to use it and find that sweet spot of between reading the play and being all out competing and being aggressive and so that's something that players can use right away to just get themselves noticed but from a fighting standpoint i wouldn't say any player that should i, I think that is just something you use a if your way of staying in the lineup is doing that then you and again it's something you can do for a short period of time but in the long haul it becomes very difficult it's not that you can it's just very difficult so it's very important at least there's a couple guys that can do it but again it's it's something that it's up to you to make that decision but and then b the other side would be if someone gets hit from behind or someone like just gets a dirty hit you have to be ready to step up for your teammate and again, I, even if it's just going in there and just giving them a shot and letting them know, you just have to stand up to them. I don't say you need to fight anyone. Like, there's never a situation where I say you need to go out and fight someone, but you do need to get in someone's face. Like when our goalie got hit, like we could have had everyone go out and jump the guy, but everyone, like two guys, like can go in there, give the guy a pretty good shot, let him know, like that's never happening again. And it's just part of those things. Like it, it doesn't really necessarily need to be a fight. But it's more so, again, if you're a player that has that in your skill set, then you are, you have that ability, then you can go out and do it. But I would never say a player needs to go out and do that. Mason, I could talk to you all night. We've already taken up a ton of your time. I want to leave you with one question, though, since you've been analytical talking about what, how it was when you started talking about guys early on there, talking like a coach, like I mentioned. You can go back and tell Mason Baptista, coming out of college, your first opportunity as a pro, one thing. What would you tell rookie you? Oh, rookie me, man. Ah, after I solidified my spot, I'd have to – literally straight up it'd be very difficult to get through my thick skull when I first played but don't be scared to make mistakes like it was just like I was so worried about making mistakes that it ended up taking away from my ability to play like I was worried about making a mistake before I even made the play and that's like I wish the last dance documentary is out I read uh, Bill Jackson's book and he talked about it as well but Michael Jordan never thought about a mistake before he took a shot. That's like taking, that's like saying you're going to miss before you shot it. It's like, you haven't even taken the shot yet. And so I would stress to myself, do not be scared of making mistakes. And even if you do get cut, you're, you're working yourself to a better situation. It wasn't the right fit. Now take what you, what happened, learn from that and apply it so that you can find the better fit for you. And when you find that better fit, that's what's going to really matter. So I would really stress that to myself. It'd be difficult, but I really hope that it helps some other young players. Brian, I'm, I'm going to pull an audible here. I, I actually want to have my last question for him now. So 
let's take you out of being Coach Babs and let's just put you as Mason Baptista here for the final question because that's one thing you wish you could tell yourself as a rookie coming out. I think one thing, whether it's two years, three years, whatever you have time left for, one thing you probably would like to leave in your pro game is saying you want a championship as a player. Uh, you got within a game of the Kelly Cup uh, when you were with Fort Wayne, you guys went up against Colorado in the conference finals, seven-game series there. Now you're with a team who leaps and bounds is ahead of the rest of the pack in the regular season, and obviously you have to leave it there and do the business in playoffs. But there's got to be a little bit of excitement selfishly as a player too that there may be a shot at winning a championship by the end of next month. Well, no, absolutely. And that's what it's all about. And that's why I want to keep playing a couple of years. It's like, I want to win championships. Like I did it in college. I want to do it in pro. And that feeling is hard to replicate. You can't replicate it anywhere else. It's not even hard. You can't. And so um, regardless of our record, I don't see it. I personally, and I've told this to Kevin and I've told this to all our players, I didn't care if we finished first place. It's about playing the right way going into playoffs because these are three game series. It's like, it's almost like college. The best team typically isn't going to win in a three game series. It's the team that's playing the right way and is willing to do the right things more consistently. That's going to win these games, going to win these series. And it's just like when and I related back to college, when we won my first year, I didn't think, and our coach will tell you, we weren't the best team. We were the team playing the right way going in to the playoffs and so for us especially after last night's game we really I felt we really established a style of play that we need to going into the playoffs and need to continue and that's the type of way that's going to allow us to win long term and so that's the biggest thing for us and again it is exciting and I look forward to the opportunity but again it's just got to take it one one game at a time. Mason, this was a lot of fun. Again, we took up a lot of your time. We appreciate you spending some time with us here on this evening. And uh, all the best going forward down the stretch here into the postseason. We'll be watching. We'll be rooting for you, man. I appreciate it. And at any time, guys, if you need anything else, happy to help out. Baps Hockey's got you. Wow, what a great conversation with Mason Baptista. I felt like it was more of a conversation with Coach Baps the Mason Baptista, but nonetheless, insightful, informative, and fun above all else, Brian. Yeah, I said it at one point during the conversation. He sounded like – it sounded like I was talking to a coach. It sounded like I was doing an interview with a coach, and especially when he started talking about, you know, the young guys that they have on the team and, you know, trying to make sure that they can get their opportunities and um, and just – it. He's, he it was lapsing into things that I don't even think he, he wasn't trying to do it as a cliche. It's just the way that he's approaching the game. And it's so cool to me to see, you know, he was, he's hunting player coach opportunities where he can have kind of that official or unofficial role where, okay, I'm coming in there and I'm not just a guy who's, you know, here to play and, and take my check and go. I want to learn from a coach and be able to do some coaching as I go. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, he had a number of years, too, in the ECHL with Fort Wayne, which uh, the Comets, in my eyes, are, are kind of one of the mecca organizations of the ECHL, much like the Hershey Bears and Rochester Americans are for the American League and so on. But, um, you know, whether it would be a return to Fort Wayne or Greenville, Rapid City, which he played a few games for already this season, you know, I, I think, as you mentioned, 
it's going to be important that wherever he goes, he gets that opportunity and a team will know that and respect that. Hopefully they will, uh, including playoffs. He's got 200 ECHL points. So uh, you're bringing in a valuable asset at that level. And certainly he's been that here above a point per game pace with the making mayhem and an opportunity to help them pursue a president's cup. And of course the president's cup playoffs are going to kick off after this weekend, Sunday, May 2nd, that's the regular uh, season finale for the SPHL. We got through it, Brian. 42-game season is going to come to a close here. Um, but as we bring this week's podcast to a close, it would not be a podcast without story time, something that we do all the time. And, uh, you know, we talked about bus trips. We've talked about travel things. Mason kicked things off by talking about one hell of a wrong turn uh, and just how problematic those drives can be. So, Brian, let's talk about wrong turns. What do you got for me? Yeah, it popped into my head as soon as he started talking about how it added extra time and they're going down a place and guys who have made the trips a bunch of times, they're looking at things like, well, I've never gone this way and I've made this trip to Huntsville, from Huntsville to Macon and making the Huntsville, you know, dozens of times. And in Roanoke, the team that we see the most that's a commuter trip is Fayetteville. And so you get very familiar with this drive from Roanoke to Fayetteville. You know how it looks. And at one point, this would have been, I believe, the 20, 2018, around there. Um, we were heading down for a game in Fayetteville, 7 o'clock start. And I suddenly noticed that, oh, this isn't the way we go. This is a different highway than we're usually on. I looked up, you know, after finishing some something on my laptop, some you know, looking over some notes and suddenly like we're near Raleigh, Durham. We've got, this is, we usually kind of go a different way, kind of a little bit more of a back way. And so we're on a highway that we're not usually on and we're on a highway during like a rush hour traffic for the triangle for the Raleigh, Durham area. And damn it, if we don't really slow down and, you know, suddenly we're not moving. I don't know if it was just rush hour. I don't know if it was because there was a wreck on top of rush hour, but we're on the way and we are, we're not going to get there in time. Literally, we had to call ahead of time. And I might be giving a peek behind the curtain because I don't think we publicly said that this game was delayed because we got stuck in rush hour traffic. But the game was delayed because we got stuck in rush hour traffic because the bus driver, who was not our usual bus driver, took an insane route that if you even looked at the map, it's like, this adds 20 minutes when it's not traffic. I don't know why you would choose to go this way unless maybe he just wasn't comfortable on a certain road that we were driving down the other way, but it's not like it was all backwood stuff. So I'm looking up and I'm, you know, like they, you know, I, I, I was one of the first ones to notice it. And, you know, they end up when I think our trainer called ahead and told him like, Hey guys, we're not going to get there in time. Like, and they, I, the game was delayed at least a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour, maybe. But I remember getting there and the guys had to like rush to get their stuff off the bus, to get dressed, to go out for warmups because we got there like after the time that it would have been puck drop. You know, isn't was, there something, and I feel so bad for bus drivers at times, because let's be honest, man, that that's not a, I don't think that would be a fun job. I wouldn't want to do that job, but man, isn't there something about getting on a bus for a road trip and you notice it's a different driver that you haven't seen before? There's a little bit of like, hmm, isn't there? Oh yeah. Like we had, so over the years, it was a little while before the dogs had like a regular bus driver. Cause it was just kind of like whatever was assigned to you. Mm -hmm. And there had been a rotation at times where you get on and you're like, 
never seen you before or I've seen you before and it didn't go well. Um, and then, and then, you know, we, we got our, for the last couple of years, our regular bus driver, a guy named Hiram who would hang out with, um, hang out kind of with the, the staff part of the, of the, team dirt you know if we're on a road trip cool guy guy who would just truck on through seemingly and a bladder that never needed to be emptied we always could trust him to get there and yeah so like the one or two times over the last couple of seasons when it wasn't him you get on it's like who are you yeah I trust you you know what i mean yeah i do i do and as i share my story of course uh, I don't have the experience that Brian has. I haven't been around as much. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and take a story about a wrong turn. But coming from 19-year-old me as a driver, uh, it took me a little while to get my license. Not going to lie. I didn't drive until I was 19. Uh, I got my license in May. And uh, let me think here. It was the following summer because what happened was I got my license. And then I went to college freshman year. I wasn't able to bring my car on campus. I come back. And now I'm like, of course, you know, after a year of college, my eyes are open to the world and I want to go do all these things. So where I live, like where I'm at actually right now is about two and a half to three hours from Philadelphia. First ever time driving to Philadelphia, uh, where it was me and my younger sister and my younger brother. We wanted to all go to a Phillies game. There were fireworks that night. It was 4th of July weekend. So that's one, like I didn't even think as a 19 year old that it would be 4th of July weekend uh, and so miserable traffic. Two and a half hours turned into a four-hour drive to get there. And then on the way back, driving, game went into extra innings. I didn't want to leave because I'm a diehard fan, despite this just miserable team. Uh, and so, I mean, we probably left at midnight. And I'm using an old GPS. I'm not using my phone that has the updated GPS. Not knowing or thinking this GPS has not been updated in years. Some of the routes are no longer the routes that you use anymore. So, I'm missing turns. I'm going routes that are then saying recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. And we're all miserable. We're all ticked off. We're trying to find a place to get gas. Everybody's got to use the bathroom. We did that. Finally, we're like, all right, let's get home. The next road, it says turn right onto Looney Road, which already sounds kind of whatever. So, you know, anybody that's road knows you either have a big green exit sign or if it's like streets, you'd see about something about, you know, this thick and long, uh, it's a green street sign on the top of a pole. This was not a street sign. This was not an exit sign. It was a wooden sign said Looney in like black. It looked like a really thick stroke of black paint writing Looney. Um, you can tell I love broadcasting because the way I art articulate this stuff. I take the turn because whatever, man, I'm angry. I just want to get home and I'm still like an hour and a half away. And it's woods dirt road and it's woods one road all dirt like tree to tree right next to the car everybody's a little creeped out i'm like all right guys well it says in 0.7 miles we're gonna get on this highway so let's just go through it and lo and behold we get to the point where we're apparently supposed to get on that highway brian there's no highway there's no more road it's a dead end not only is it a dead end it's pitch black at night in the middle of the woods and what's in front of me. I cannot make this up. This is not a lie. A cabin with a swing on the outside. It's a little windy out. The swing is going a little bit, you know, dude, terrified. As a grown adult trying to be the man, right? I was not a man right there. I was terrified. My sister like screamed in the back. We're like, we got to get the F out of here. I reversed 
0.7 miles back the whole way onto the road and I start flooring it. I'm like, all right, we got to keep going until we get real road. I never want to do that again. And to this day, that's the creepiest drive I've ever done in my life. I hope to never be something like that again. Swear to God to anybody that's this far in the podcast at the end, this is not made up. I know that sounds fake. I know that sounds like it's in a wrong turn movie. It's not, it's real, it's creepy. And thank God though, Brian, I'm still here to tell the story. It, it, it sounds to me, it, it's, the only thing I can think of is the, the bit in the office where Michael Scott does trust it too much and drives directly into the lake with Dwight going, this is the lake. And he's screaming, <laughs> the machine knows. You were muttering to yourself, the machine knows. We're going to get to the highway. I can't yeah. believe the Phillies lost. The machine knows. Yeah. And then just a creaking swing in the background, always ready to haunt your nightmares. I love Man. it. Dude, it was horrible. It was horrible. So anyway, you know, we got off the beaten path at the beginning of this broad, uh, this podcast. We're getting off the beaten path at the end. We're going on the loony road at the end of this. It's been a long episode, Brian. Take us out as we get set for the final week of the regular season. Hopefully whoever was in the cabin on loony road wasn't freaked out at the random car coming up. That's the other thing I'll think true, of. But true. Yeah. Hope everyone enjoyed it. We've got, a, again, we've got a big guest next week. Um, Make sure you're checking us out next week. I don't know why this person has agreed to talk to us, but he did. So we've got a great one coming up for you next week. It's been a lot of fun this week. We're bringing you down the stretch here into the postseason. So make sure if you haven't already, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Get us everywhere. This is Down South. He's Andrew Mossbooks. I'm Brian Gardner. We will talk to you next time.